This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. A few verses together tonight again from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These are the exact same verses that we read this morning, uh, but we, we're going to look at it differently tonight. So from verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, or by Peter that is, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due season. No one doubted that Jesus of Nazareth died on that Roman cross on that fateful day. Certainly not the soldiers who nailed him there and pierced his side with a spear. Not the scribes and Pharisees who falsely accused him and brought him before the authorities and finally got him sentenced to death. Not his mother and a few of the women and John who stood at the cross and watched him die that painful, cruel death. Not Peter who denied him and who fled with all the other disciples at Christ's arrest. Not Pilate, his executioner, who was absolutely certain that those soldiers would carry out their grim task very thoroughly. Not Joseph of Arimathea, who provided the tomb that his body would go into. Not Nicodemus, who would bring a hundred pounds of beautiful spices and ointments to prepare his body for the burial. And so for three days... Anyone who was Jesus, either friend or foe, uh, were in no doubt that his three-year itinerant ministry was gone forever. And whatever hopes and dreams that his disciples or his friends had were now irrevocably destroyed. The Jews were satisfied. This dangerous preacher was at last gone from their lives. He has spread such influence like wildfire around the country. But now he's dead. He's snuffed out. And in a few weeks' time, uh, his name would be forgotten. His disciples would go back to their day jobs. And after all, there were other so-called messiahs who came on the scene at various times in Israel's history. And they too disappeared and their disciples gone back to their jobs so this Messiah Jesus of Nazareth as far as they were concerned would be no different because now that would be the end of it but we know it wasn't the end of it sure it wasn't because on the third day he arose again according to the scriptures 
And as we said this morning, he died and was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. And so this was something that God had pre-planned. This was God's master plan for all mankind, that his son would come and die on that cross and would be buried and would rise again for our justification. What else but the resurrection could have turned those defeated and demoralized and disloyal and disheartened and fearful disciples into blazing, fiery evangelists in just six weeks? Nothing else but the resurrection can account for that. The resurrection was that momentous, that climactic, life-changing, hope-bringing, faith-affirming event in history that changed the world. And Paul leaves us in absolutely no doubt about the truth of his resurrection because he parades before us eyewitnesses. And he writes a whole chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. And the first half of the chapter really is about Christ's resurrection. And the second half, by and large, is about the Christian resurrection. And so verse 5 and 8, we read there, Paul lines up these eyewitnesses for us. In verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas or by Peter. What a moment that must have been when Peter and Jesus' eyes met after the resurrection. This was the first time that their eyes had met since that moment when he denied him for the third time. Remember how Jesus told him before the rooster would crow that morning that you will deny me three times? And there when Jesus was being falsely tried and Peter was standing warming his hands offside, watching and listening and denied him for the third time. And when he did that, the rooster crowed and Jesus immediately looked at him right in the eye and Peter was humiliated. He was so ashamed. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. He felt terrible because this was the one who says, I will die for you. See all these? Even though they leave you, I will die for you. And Jesus says, no, you'll not. You'll deny me three times. And so this is the first time after that when their eyes met. I wonder what that moment was like for Peter when Jesus looked right into his very eyes, right into his very soul. What a moment that must have been. And then it said he was seen by the 12. Now on that first resurrection evening, Whenever those disciples were behind closed doors, remember by this time, of course, Judas had went out and hung himself. And there should have been 11 in that room, but there was only 10 because Thomas didn't come. And Jesus just literally appeared, didn't knock the door, didn't wait for the door to be opened. He literally just physically appeared in the middle of that room in front of their very eyes. And he says, peace be unto you, because he knew they'd be frightened. Peace be unto you. 
And then he spoke to them for a moment and then he breathed on them and said, said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, look at me, look at my wounds, look at my body. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, the Bible says. But Thomas wasn't there that evening. And we don't know why, the Bible doesn't tell us. Perhaps he was so disillusioned with the movement that had come to a, a terrible end. Perhaps his dreams were gone. His vision was gone. As far as he was concerned, Jesus was dead. That was the end of it. Maybe he thought, what's the point in us meeting again? What are we going to talk about? It'll be miserable. All will be sad and miserable. Why go to that? But for whatever reason, he didn't show up that night. But eight days later, they were in the same room. And this time, Thomas was with them. We don't know why. Maybe he changed his mind. Maybe he thought, do you know what? Maybe they were hallucinating. Maybe they imagined they saw him, but maybe they did. And maybe this time I'll just go along, just in case. Now, they had no guarantee that Jesus was going to show again. He didn't tell them if he would show again. But he went with them. And again, suddenly Jesus appeared. <laughs> and he looked right at Thomas. And he says, Thomas? You remember what the disciples, when they said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord, and he said, I will not believe unless I put my fingers in the nail prints of his hands, and I put my hand in his side. I will not believe. There was a problem with his will. And so when Jesus appeared, he said to Thomas, Thomas, look, look at my hands. Put your finger there. Come on. Put your hand on my side. See. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Hallelujah. <laughs> he couldn't deny it. Sure he couldn't. My Lord and my God. He was a doubter. But now he's a believer. And he would never, ever doubt again. In verse 6, it says, And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, Paul said, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. Now, I remember Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church probably about 20 years after the event. So out of that 500, there was many who were still alive. So in a sense, Paul's saying to the Corinthians, listen, if you don't believe me, there's over 500 at one time saw him at their eyewitnesses. You can't deny this. And not just one or two disciples, over 500 at one time. Probably Paul had been to Jerusalem. Probably Paul, we don't know for sure, but probably Paul had spoken to some of these eyewitnesses. He was convinced anyway because he got him on the road to Damascus, so he didn't need convincing. But probably when he visited Jerusalem, no doubt these disciples, these people who saw Jesus, no doubt wanted to see Paul because Paul by that time was well, well known. He really was a kind of Christian celebrity at that point. And no doubt he talked with them. And so he's saying, listen, if you don't believe me, believe them. One commentator said that there's more 
documented evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there was for the conquest of Britain by Julius Caesar. And there was documented evidence for that. And so we have every reason to believe tonight. Then verse 7 says, After that he was seen of James. Now James, of course, was Jesus' half-brother. They had the same mother, but they didn't have the same father. Sure they didn't. But he was Jesus' half-brother. Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters, the scripture tells us. Jesus, of course, being the firstborn. Not one of them believed that he was the Messiah. Imagine growing up in that household, knowing that you're the Messiah, and none of your siblings believe it. Even after the miracles that he did, even after raising the very dead, they still didn't believe him. And they certainly didn't believe, as we said this morning, that he rose again from the dead until he appeared to them. It says, after that he was seen of James. It's interesting, again, one writer said, it's interesting how that at the cross, you know, when, when John and Mary was standing there, that Jesus looked down and he said to John, behold your mother, and he said to Mary, behold your son. And one writer said, it's interesting that he didn't hand over the care of his mother to James, his half-brother. Why could that be? Well, for a start, James wasn't there. John was. And by Christ's foreknowledge, he knew that John would live longer than any of those apostles. I said this morning, by the time John writes his letter, every one of them are dead, including Paul, because he lived in his 90s. And so Jesus sought out James. Now, if you read the book of James, you'll soon see that James was quite opinionated, that he was quite a strong personality. And you'll soon see that he didn't suffer fools gladly. And, uh, and so he would need some convincing. And so Jesus sought James out. Because he probably reckoned, if I, if I can convince James, the rest will be convinced. And of course, he did convince James. And James did believe. And in fact, James became one of the pillars of the early church. In fact, whenever there was a, a meeting of, of the apostles and all the leaders of the early church, James would be the one who would convene it. He was a wise man. He was a strong man. He was a man who was decisive. But Jesus sought James out. And he was seen of James. And James became a dedicated, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And if you read his letter and his introduction, he calls himself a bond slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 7, it says, he was seen by all of the apostles, all of those who would be 
leaders of the early church. And whenever we were doing our study in Ephesians, we, we, we told you that there was, there was apostles since the apostles. There was only the 12 original ones. But throughout the early church history, there were other apostles, people who were deemed and called apostles. Verse 8, then, last of all, he was seen by me also, Paul said, as one born out of due time. Saul of Tarsus was a, a highly intellectual man. He was a man of letters. He, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the top rabbi of his day. And Paul sat at his feet as a young man. And so by the time Paul was an older man, he was very intellectual, a man of outstanding ability. And of course, he was a man of the law. He was a man of Judaism. And he absolutely hated Jesus of Nazareth. Absolutely despised these Nazarenes, this sect of the Nazarene. And he did everything in his power to stamp them out. Judaism is the only religion for Saul of Tarsus. And you remember how he got letters signed from the Sanhedrin, the religious hierarchy, to go even to Damascus, even to another country, to Syria, in order to get Christians and drag them back and get them before an ecclesiastical court and see them stoned to death, the way he had seen Stephen, the first Christian martyr, stoned. And so he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter, the Bible says. And as he went out to Damascus, there was another battle that was raging in his heart, a battle of his conscience, a battle of his conscience. His conscience was being pricked because remember, he was the one who was the chief witness at the stoning of Stephen. And if you read in Acts 6 and you read that story of Stephen and how that Stephen gave his defense of Christ and the gospel and how that they looked upon him as if he had the face of an angel. And I think the, the clincher was when they were stoning him to death and Saul was watching, he looked up to heaven and he says, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the throne. I see him. And then he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And it was as though the light of another world was shining on his face. And Saul couldn't forget that. Even though he set out to kill Christians, but that battle was still raging in his heart. And when Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus, remember what he says? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. <laughs> your conscience is being pricked and you're fighting against it, but you're fighting against me. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Lord, what will you have me do? Instantly, in that moment, he saw the resurrected Christ and he was changed forever. In that one moment, his whole life was changed radically. 
Hmm. And so Christianity's greatest opponent became Christianity's greatest proponent. Christianity's great antagonist became Christianity's greatest apologist. Christianity's greatest adversary became Christianity's greatest advocate. Christianity's greatest persecutor became Christianity's greatest preacher. Christianity's greatest terrorizer became Christianity's greatest teacher. What a dramatic change in this man's life. All because he was seen. All because he saw Jesus. And last of all, he was seen of me also. <laughs> the chiefest of sinners, he called himself. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That was his testimony. Never forgot what he was. But by the grace of God, I am what I am today. And that's our testimony. Never forget what you were. That humbles us. But we are what we are today by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. We have no merits of our own. We have nothing to boast about. Because I know the unbelievers say, oh, you're holier than thou. No, 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 no. We're sinners. Simply sinners saved by the grace of God. Nothing Hallelujah. more, nothing less. Hallelujah. That's all we are. We have nothing to say in our defense. We were lost, bound for hell, undeservedly so, until Christ stepped in and saved us by his grace. And let me just quickly. Some reasons why Jesus was raised from the dead. We mentioned this this morning, by the way, in another message. You know, sometimes when you're preaching from the same set of scriptures, sometimes your mind plays tricks on you because your mind wants to get ahead of you. <laughs> and your mind jumps from Sunday morning to Sunday night while you're still on Sunday morning. Do you ever know that? You, well, you preachers would know that. Romans 4.25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. We are justified tonight because God raised him up from the dead to prove that what he did was authentic and real and actually worked for us, saved us. God raised him from the dead to prove his deity. Romans 1, 3, and 4, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Hmm. Remember Abraham took Isaac up Mount Moriah and how that was a three-day journey and when he got there, he was prepared to kill him, to sacrifice his only son because God asked him to as a test. And how that Hebrews tells us that Abraham's faith was such that he believed that even if he did that, God would raise him from the dead because he was the son of promise and he believed that God would keep his promise. But you know that when it came to it, and he would have done it, God says, no, you don't need to. I've proven you. Look, there's a ram caught in the thicket. That'll be your sacrifice. And the son was spared. But when Jesus went up Mount Calvary, he was not spared because he was the lamb that was to be slain. And so he was not spared. 
and he did die. But God raised him up again. All of this proves his deity, that he was and is the Son of God. Hmm. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 is a lovely verse. In fact, I should read verse 17 also. And when I saw him, John's writing, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell or Hades and of death. No mortal man could say those words. Only the Son of God could say that. Showing us his deity. Hmm. God raised him up to be the head of the church. Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the Bible says. He's the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. The Queen of England's not the head of the church. Christ is the only head of the church. And thank God he is. Not a mere man, but the God man. Very God and very man. God raised him from the dead that we may walk in the power of a new life. Romans 6, 4 and 5. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And again, I said this morning that right now we are living in the power of the resurrected Christ. That resurrection power is in us to help us to live spiritually for him. But one day he will raise us up physically in the resurrection if we die and are buried. And we will have a body like unto his glorious body, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. How do you explain that? Huh? The body that could walk through walls and doors. Huh? You will have a body like that. And it will be a resurrected body, not a, resur- a resurrection body, not a resurrected body. A resurrected body can die like Lazarus who was resurrected, but he died again. But Jesus rose again in the power of an endless life. And when you are resurrected, you will have a resurrection body and you will never, ever die. Glory to God. I am the resurrection of life. He that believes in me shall never die eternally, that is. Because I live, you shall live also. 
God raised him from the dead that he might be the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 32, 33. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, says as Peter preached in the day of Pentecost. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you both see and hear. John the baptizer says, I am not even worthy to untie the shoelaces in Jesus' feet. But when he comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. And so as I've told you a million times, when you get saved and born again, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ's body, mystically, supernaturally. You became part of the body of Christ. But then Christ is the one who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit and gives you power to live this life. God raised him from the dead that he might be a prince and a savior. Acts 5, 30, 31. We're almost finished. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior. This despised Jesus of Nazareth, this one that you mocked, this one that you scorned, this one that you murdered, this one that you hung on a tree, this one God has raised up to be prince and a savior. Hmm. And one day, the Jewish nation will see him whom they have pierced. Amen. And they will embrace him. Amen. They're looking for the Messiah to come. He's already come but he's coming back again. They missed him the first time, but they'll not miss him the second time because they'll see him whom they have pierced. And then finally, God raised him from the dead to be our intercessor and advocate. Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Glory to God. From the very moment you gave your life to Christ, unbeknown to you, but probably later on your Christian experience, till you heard it, unbeknown to you from that very moment, Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you, to be your advocate in heaven. When you go to a court of law, you need a good advocate. You need somebody who knows what they're doing, who knows how to handle the events, and Jesus Christ knows what he's doing about your life. He knows how to handle the events of your life. He knows what to do with the accuser of your life because he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you, being your advocate in heaven. And thank God we've got an advocate in earth, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. So that's belts and braces, isn't it? How can you lose? And so here we are today, this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. And it says he died according to the Scriptures. He was buried according to the Scriptures. He rose again according to the Scriptures. And we could say that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father according to the Scriptures. And one day he's returning to this earth according to the Scriptures. And one day he's going to take you to glory according to the Scriptures. So that's the lovely Jesus that we serve today. That's our Savior. That's our gospel. That's the one that we love and adore and serve. That's the one that we're going to serve the rest of our life and all of eternity. Glory to God. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord, we give you thanks that you are tonight the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Christ of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And we thank you that you sit seated at the right hand of the Father, that the very earth is your footstool, and we bless you tonight. And so we thank you for this wonderful day whenever we're reminded afresh again that you did rise from the dead, that the grave could not hold you, that we do not worship a crucifix today because that cross is empty and bare and the tomb is empty and bare, but your throne is filled today and we thank you for that. And so we rejoice in your mercies and your goodness. Thank you for saving our eternal souls. Lord, we did not deserve your mercy, but your grace came and you gave it to us. And we give you thanks for this. So bless us, Lord, tonight as we fellowship downstairs for these moments. Bless us as we go into this new working week. And we pray, O oh God, that our life will be a shining light to those around us. Forgive us in the times when we fail you and whenever we fail others around us. Forgive us for that. But Lord, give us the strength and the grace to be good witnesses and testimonies of your life in us, the hope of glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.